Captain, what year is it? What year? If you please. By your calendar, the year is 2351. Welcome to another episode of Delta Flyer. I'm Thad Haight. I'm Stuart Hollis. And this week, we have a special guest. Hi, this is Carl Wonders. Hi, Carl. And what we... Now, since you are the second guest on the show, something we started doing and we might as well continue doing... Carl, how did you first encounter Star Trek Voyager? Well, I'm going to date myself here. Um, I uh, first sat down to watch it when uh, the first episode debuted, uh, Caretaker, uh, the first day that it came on the air. I was uh, sitting down, it was about, I guess I was in 10th grade maybe, um, when it came on. Uh, I was a big TNG fan. I literally grew up watching TNG and was a bit of a fan of Deep Space Nine, although I will be honest and say that that show really spoke to me later in life more than it did when it first came on. And then Voyager came on, and I was sitting down ready for that when it started. So I've been there since the beginning, and uh, actually gone back to do a rewatch not too long ago, so this is perfect timing for me. Yep, I started watching from the beginning as well, so you are a little older, but I was also there watching it on TV when it first came on, so... (laughs) Yeah, I I mostly would catch it when it was there. Um, I, I I still am very bad about knowing TV schedules. It's even worse now when who cares? Because I have Hulu and Netflix and Amazon, and I, I haven't watched a scheduled airing of anything in God like five years or something. And it, I mean, it was even worse back in the day when I didn't have any of those things. It was just like, when's that show come on? I don't know. I, I turn on UPN or whatever the channel was called at the time, and oh look, there's Voyager. So let's watch some Voyager. Heck yeah, yeah UPN, yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm 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 afraid to say that you know this is the show that was on when I you know went off to college and did other things and and life kind of got in the way of my Star Trek watching. So um, I'm ashamed to say I've actually not seen every episode of Voyager. I've seen bits and pieces after maybe the first or two first two seasons or maybe the third season. Um, the last episode I definitely remember watching live was the Future's End two-parter. Um, and then it's kind of a blur between there and now my rewatch. So looking forward to uh, to catching up on it. And, and this this episode certainly was one I remembered from before. So I think we have now mentioned Future's End in every episode of Double Flyer <laughs> at this point. Well, it's a fantastic one. Yeah. It's a great episode, so <laughs> it's worthwhile. Sure. All right. And, and is that going to be like our thing now? Are we going to have to... Yeah, uh, every episode has to be all about Ed Begley Jr. It's the, it's the law. Yeah. The Delta Flyer <laughs> podcast is footloose and fancy free. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, talking about this episode, Eye of the Needle, mm-hmm. uh, it's season one, episode seven. Our synopsis from TV Guide, the discovery of a wormhole prompts Janeway to send a probe through it, making contact with a ship in the Alpha Quadrant. Okay. Yep. Pretty much. It's a synopsis. Yeah. It seems a little wordy for TV Guide, honestly. No. No. That's average to short for TV Guide. Hmm. Well, Memory Alpha is considerably shorter. Voyager makes contact with a Romulan ship through a wormhole that leads to the Alpha Quadrant. Okay. Spoilers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, like, almost every episode of Voyager, especially in the first season, can be summed up as Voyager is still stuck in the Delta Quadrant. Also, there are Kazons this time. 
Or, I mean, it's it's kind of like, uh, you know, Voyager discovers way to possibly get home, doesn't. Uh, yeah. No, God, for real. <laughs> that is like three quarters of the first two seasons. Yeah, and the other question, too, is I, I think I need to start keeping track of how many of these episodes involve timey-wimeyness. <laughs> yeah, seriously. We've got, I mean, so here, here's a little inside baseball, which will also then lead me to another point I wanted to make about the episode, mm-hmm. uh, is that we're recording this based on the schedule available to us uh, with our guest and ourselves, so... Last week, we recorded episode four. Mm-hmm. No. Yes. No, three. No, Yo, episode, oh, yeah, three last, last week, week was three. Two weeks ago was episode four, and this week we were recording episode seven. So <laughs> all of them so far, Caretaker didn't involve any timey-wimeyness, but all the other ones we recorded so far have involved timey-wimeyness. And on top of that, we have our own sort of like timey-wimeyness going on because we're completely out of order. Well, it's funny, actually, just just occurred to me you saying that, is that you can tell that when they split off the, the crews to do Deep Space Nine and Voyager, you can tell which camp is the we're going to do serial TV and which camp is we're going to do kind of episode of the week stuff, because I, I'm, I imagine you could listen to this in any order and you're not going to be lost, really, as to what's going on in the story. At least I wasn't from the first few episodes, so... There's not much uh, carryover between episodes in, in uh, at least early Voyager. Uh, no, not particularly. Yeah, like, if you watch um, Parallax out of order, you might wonder, but Bellana is already the chief engineer. Yeah. But that's about it. Why is Sesco wearing blue? Yeah, well, you wonder that anyway. <laughs> total total mistake, according to Memory Alpha. No. Like, uh, someone asked Martha Hackett about it once, and she said that the prop department gave her the wrong uniform <laughs> all right so what do you guys think of the episode it's one of the best episodes of season one in my opinion yeah it's definitely the best episode of the first batch um i mean maybe half of caretaker um but this one i felt was the one where you're like everyone seems to be in the groove as far as what their character is doing um everyone and maybe a little bit too soon to to be honest, but, you know, everyone seemed to have found their niche and their role and everything, and, uh, and you know, it's, it's, Seth, the, the story is certainly a, a, the most solid one, I think, so far, where you have a good, there's, there's no dips in the episode, I think that some of the other ones, there were some, you know, kludgy parts, or some not-so-fun parts, or not-so-solidly written parts, but this one definitely, from beginning to end, I think, really holds up well. Yeah, the pacing was really, really good, mm-hmm. um... This one, I think, and it's kind of a hard thing to say for sure, but it felt like there was more techno babble. Oh, there was like so much techno babble. Oh, yeah. Like, this felt like the most techno babble dense episode so far. I don't know. Parallax had a lot of techno babble. Yeah. <laughs> they all have a lot of techno babble. Uh, I feel like Voyager just had more than mm-hmm. most other Star Trek's. Stars Trek? I appreciated the continuity. With them talking about Verderon particles, which they yes. also talk about with the wormhole on Deep Space Nine. So I appreciated that little nod to continuity there. How much worse are their wormhole graphics, though, compared to Star- Stargate? Compared to Stargate? Okay. Yeah. But, I mean... Yeah, pretty terrible. They're, they're contemporaries. Yeah. Okay, I'll give you that. It's not, I mean, it's not like I'm comparing... Stargate was, like, two years later, but sure. 
Okay, I mean, we're, I mean, we're in the heady days of the mid-90s when two years was huge in computer power, yes. but still, like... Are, are, you, are you also comparing that to the Deep Space Nine wormhole, or just this one? Just this one that we saw on this episode well, just I, I think I read on either Memory Alpha or somewhere else that they deliberately made it look kind of, I don't know, not quite as cool looking because they didn't want to compete or make it look like the, the wormhole from Deep Space Nine, so they specifically made it that kind of, like, soupy green color and maybe you know tone down the graphics a little bit or, or whatever because it's a dying wormhole at least that's their excuse but uh, yeah but it did look very cgi it oh yeah it did it totally did yeah, yeah absolutely yeah we, i mean we we had made similar comments on stargate weekly about some really bad cgi on one of the planets at one point uh looked like it was just like pulled straight out of like a mid-90s video game or something when they could have <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was awful yeah but it was a good episode. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was. It was cool to see Von Armstrong playing the Romulan. Yep. I think it's his first role, right? In in Star Trek. I thought he was on TNG. Was he? Uh, let me I see. I don't know. This is a recurring actor. Von Armstrong is sort of um uh, is uh has actually played more roles on Star Trek than Jeffrey Combs has. Yeah. I was about to say, how does he compare against Jeffrey Combs? He's like basically the only recurring actor I can think of. I believe Von Armstrong has the record for the most roles on Star Trek. Wow. Yeah, it's like him and the guy who plays Tosk is in a bunch of things. And Yes. And, uh... Okay, so he's just... So sort of like, uh... <clears throat> getting back to Stargate. Um... <laughs> Hey, you know what? It's only fair. We didn't go a single episode of the first season of Stargate Weekly without Thad dropping Star Trek into the conversation somehow. So, um, but I'm thinking of, like, specifically actors. The thing of the actor who played, um, Todd, the Todd the Wraith in Stargate Atlantis. Oh, Atlantis. Yes. Christopher Hyrdell. Right. And he's just this, like, great character actor, and he has this sort of, like, frame of his body and his face that also does really well with makeup. He was. One of the first people you see on the other sci-fi show, Sanctuary, he was in the first season of that, I think, as a recurring character. I'm not sure if he made it to season two, because I didn't make it to season two. Um, but, I mean, you just see him over and over and over again. He's just one of those character actors. So, Von Armstrong was one of the Klingons in Heart of Glory on TNG, so, like, oh, okay. really early. And then he was also a Cardassian in past prologue on DS9 before this. Oh, well, then I was definitely wrong. Has he played a Vulcan? Uh, no. No, he has uh, not. Darn, he didn't, uh, he, you, you he think, didn't check all the boxes. No, he's played a Cardassian, a Romulan. He's played multiple Cardassians. Um, he was a Borg. He was a Vidian. He was multiple Klingons. He was a Herogen. He was a Cretacean, and he's also been a human, but, you know. But no Vulcan. Shame. Yeah, you actually may remember him. Uh, he was Admiral Forrest on Enterprise. Oh, mm -hmm. yes. Yep. I mean, who can forget Admiral Forrest? Just there being all stayed. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, he was. He did appear before this, but this was before, like, this was, like, I guess you could say this was when he was just starting to, like, be in the show all the time. <laughs> but anyway, when I was a kid, I didn't I didn't recognize any of the actors that wore makeup from different from one role to the next. So it wasn't until much later that I realized that 
this was the same guy that was in all those other roles. But yeah, the one that I remember surprising me when I looked back at, especially you know going back to early TNG and walking it through was seeing how many times um, James Cromwell shows up. In yes, yeah. Where I mean, it's like he's Ephraim Cochran, but no, he's and he plays the he plays that weird like Uridian guy I think in the one episode. Um, isn't he the one that takes Worf to the? Yes, the Klingons with the Romulans, and yeah. then there's also the one where he's the like the fascist guy, uh, where they're trying to oh with Rogadenar, yeah, yeah, with that giant chest tube. That that yeah, the, I think I tweeted the like last week. I said it was the first class uh, version of the Jeffries tube, and not not Coach, yeah. But <laughs> that's that's still one of my favorite um, prime directive moments in Star Trek, when Picard like at the very end, he's like, "Yeah, this is your problem. Peace out." You know, and he just leaves and yeah. leaves them to deal with all the, the soldiers that are kind of rising up against them. They're like, yeah, not a problem. And if you serve, and he says something like, you know, I think your your planet's about to do a lot of evolving very soon. Yeah, and James Cromwell was also in uh, Starship Down on DS9. He was Yes, the, that's right. I forget the name of the species, but the alien that was doing the trade negotiation with Quark. So you want to talk about this episode? I mean, I guess... <laughs> so we get the usual harry kim getting super excited about the possibility of going home Uh, yes (laughs) this will happen again in season one i I swear harry kim is like the the wesley crusher of voyager at least early on just oh my so excited with that no, smile on his Wesley face. Crusher is like <laughs> has more personality than Harry. He King. does. He let's does. be fair. Yeah, at least he didn't have T- Tuvok like like stealth paging him this time to tell him to be quiet. That's true. No sweaters. No sweaters. That <laughs> yeah, Wesley had some amazing sweaters early in TNG. Hmm. Also, so this is something that like I I only noticed in recent rewatches, like. How unflattering are these uniforms when they sit down? They're, like, totally right <laughs> up at the collar. It's ridiculous. Yep. I had not... Thanks. I'm going to notice that all the time now. I had not noticed it yet, but... Because, uh... <laughs> like, there's the there's the line on the undershirt where, like, the mm-hmm. collar ends, and that's supposed to match up with the edge of the, of the jacket, or the jumpsuit, I guess. And it does most of the time when, they're sta- when the characters are standing up, but for a lot of them, when they sit down, it gets all out of whack. Hmm. And then you could be uh, Bashir on Deep Space Nine, and your collar never ma- never lines up. No. <laughs> so speaking of Harry Kim, let's talk about the Harry Kim wormhole. <laughs> yes. Uh, which is, I don't know, just Harry Kim's not the right guy to name things after. But he's talking about how it's virtually microscopic, a mere thirty centimeters wide. That, that's, that's not even close to that's, microscopic. <laughs> yeah, that's centoscopic. <laughs> that's not a word. I, I will say, I, I love uh, the way Paris says, he's like, I guess it's a little too small for us to fly through. <laughs> just the way he says it is like, I don't know, why don't you just punch yeah. your way through? Punch your way yeah. through, yeah. Because that worked so well last time. Yeah, perform the Paris maneuver and just... <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised there isn't a Paris maneuver, actually. There's probably about fifteen or fourteen, uh, fifteen or sixteen. Wait, different is Paris the Paris maneuver and... actually just going at women at warp speed? 
Yes, yes, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. There's probably 15 or 16 different Paris maneuvers. It's like a pre-Barney Stenson, uh, the book sort of thing, except all of them fail. At yeah. least by now he's moved on to holographic women. He's not like hitting on every member of the crew he comes across. <laughs> like, like, like that woman that was taking them on the shuttle to Voyager in the first episode. And oh, like, that was so creepy. <laughs> yeah, God. yeah, I was really uncomfortable uh, with that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holographic women, though, at least. Uh, uh, I mean, is it better? Yeah. I guess a little. But I mean, speaking of holographics, we got Kess in there advocating for the Doctor's personhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is great. So, so maybe it's not any better or worse if Tom Paris hits on the holographic barmaid or what or no. whatnot. See, I actually, I actually liked those scenes. It was probably the first time I really liked the Kess Doctor scenes because um, sometimes they felt just like. We're, we're, you know, 10 minutes short on an episode, so we're going to cram something in here. Um, and I swear, like, I think I mentioned this on Twitter, too, like, that that guy that's there getting treated at the beginning, like, I swear he's, like, the cousin of Commander Hobson from the Sutherland. He's <laughs> like, you know, like, I don't believe that holograms can be doctors, just, like, the, the whole business about data being in command. Like, the guy's just such a total jerk to, uh, to the doctor early on. That would be Lieutenant Walter Baxter. Of course. Uh, yeah, uh, Baxter this is the guy on the examination table. Yeah. Yeah, the guy who yeah. exercises a lot. Uh yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he, he looks like it too, God, you know. God, you know, talk about flying at women at warp speed. Uh, <laughs> it reminded me of something that came up at work a couple of weeks ago where I was um I work in transportation and I I was shadowing a, a truck driver. And we were making, and we, we stopped for this delivery, and I was introducing myself because I'm like there representing the company and all that jazz. And the the one of the people there at the receiving point was giving me all of this information that only the truck driver needed to care about. Like, oh, you might want to go to the next street up and turn left next time instead of coming the way that you came this time. And these are the best hours to arrive and all this stuff. And the driver's standing right next to me this whole time. And this person's like talking right at me and not the driver. And I actually had to tell them two or three times, like, no, no, like, tell tell the driver. They're the one that needs this information. <laughs> Baxter does appear one more time, and he does exercise again. <laughs> does he have to Does he have to get surgery? Does he no, spend a lot, he doesn't. A lot of time think about... Yeah, he dies on the table because he can't decide. Oh, okay. You know what? That's fair. You know what? I... <laughs> That's the only outcome I would have wanted. Yeah. Yes. Like I've always I've always been confused by the doctor in that, you know, especially early on where he's like gets turned off and turned on and he always, you know, he gets turned on and he has to do his like, you know, please state the nature of the medical emergency thing, but then it's like he actually re- <clears throat> he retains like what was happening, so he's he is like a program or a person who gets switched on and off. And that just seems to me like weird programming that they would have had it retain memories of like oh i was you know doing this culture and then somebody turned me off the jerk you know and and i'm surprised that that they would even have him programmed to do that yeah i could think of scenarios where the doctor gets turned off accidentally Mm -hmm. in the middle of doing something or the doctor gets reactivated not because there's an emergency but because the emergency has now passed and they need to you know effectively like debrief the doctor mm-hmm. or something. I, I, I could see the benefit of his deactivation being effectively 
just like a like a sleep mode. But yeah, I mean the the biggest the biggest thing though is yeah his his you know his wake up process which is appear please state the nature of the medical emergency and walking within six inches of the like, closest person <laughs> yes. in the room. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That, sure. that definitely needs some tweaking. Like we can work on the bedside manner later, but let, let, let's first get him out of my personal space. Yeah. Turn right. on. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I, I do like this. This is one of the, this is one of the first episodes where we start. I mean, there's a few other moments, uh, but because I, I know in Parallax he asks to be kept abreast, abreast of what's going on on the ship. But this is one of the first episodes where we really start to see the Doctor's character growing some. Mm-hmm. And, and I like the conversation between Kess and Janeway. Yes. Um, Catherine Mulgrew's uh, silent acting, or nonverbal acting. I can't remember what the... I think there's a better technical term for what I'm talking about, but... but- Really, spinach juice with a touch of pear? Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna bring that up too. Yeah, and that's how you order it. It doesn't have like a, you know, like weird fancy pants French name or something. And she got it. She got the idea from Paris. Yeah, I was, I was gonna. I don't think Paris drinks spinach juice. Um, and I, I also, I, I have to question, you know, Janeway ordering vegetable bouillon too, like. Are, are you sick? Gonna, Do you have a cold? I yeah, mean, right, she, so just broth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She calls it soup. What? That's it's not soup. And 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 you just spent the last episode looking for you know particles so you can replicate your coffee, and now you're replicating soup because Kess came in. I'm I'm confused. Uh, yeah. But. Oh, and in the first Doctor Kess scene, we have Stewart's favorite thing. All the different pads that have different uh, things on yes, them. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Carl wouldn't know that I'm I'm a big proponent of the iPad in mm-hmm. the current day. And so watching Star Trek, especially Janeway, because I'm also watching it most of the time on my iPad. And so I'm watching this happening. It's like, why do you have eight of them? What, what, what could you possibly need eight of them for? Well, like, you I see- realize that I'm tapping on my phone while watching this on my iPad, but eight? That's ridiculous. <laughs> but you see, they, they still run iOS 3, which can't do multitasking, so you sure. <laughs> only have one thing on your screen at a time. And, and it doesn't just, have just, airdrops, so they can't just send yeah, it from one to right. the other. Well, and just like, clearly the, the, the little desktop computer things are Apple because they have one button on them that you just kind of push the thing and that's all it does. But uh, Right. <laughs> But I mean, I, I like the fact that it's a holdover from, you know, TOS when they had the little, like, I don't know if you had as a kid, the little, like, you had the, the, the plastic sheet that you put over the gray, like, oh, the gray yeah, soft thing, and you'd scratch about. it with the little, the little plastic pencil thing, yeah. and you could mm-hmm, draw mm-hmm, on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's basically what they had in TOS. So mm-hmm. I, I expected Kirk to, like, write something and then shake his head and, like, peel the thing up and erase it and then start over again, you know, but he never <laughs> did that. Uh, <laughs> But my, my my favorite thing about the pads, and I you really notice it if you go back and watch the TNG uh, remastered ones, is like how warped they get by the end of the show. We're like <laughs> we've been using this same prop for like seven years, and it's just it's it's a mess. I mean, it's I think I think they still use them on Voyager. They're probably the same things, but uh, yeah, yeah, and they use yeah, them the, on DS Nine too. Yep, the stack of pads. That's why she has her hair that way, by the way, so she can store a pad in it. Ha! Ooh, nice. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and honestly, even on DVD, uh, Voyager and DS9 look better than they did on TV in the 90s. Mm-hmm. 
Because I definitely can pick out details that I never would have seen before. Well, I think my TV was like 19 inches when I was watching it originally. Yeah, there's also... So, you know. <laughs> yeah, you had a big TV. Dang. Yeah, yeah this yeah. guy. I, I, I think, I think, I think I, my TV in my room was a 13-inch. Yeah, that was mine was a 13 as well. <laughs> yeah. So it's a real throwback watching it on my iPad, actually, now that I think about it. Yep. <laughs> Both about 13 inches square, so yeah. Yep. <laughs> iPad's a wee bit lighter than my old uh, Magnavox in my, tel- in, my, uh, in my bedroom, though. Yeah. <laughs> Just a bit. <laughs> Just a bit. <laughs> well, because I used to haul it up and down the stairs because uh, I had a little gaming area set up downstairs in the basement. So, uh, <laughs> but who could afford two televisions? <laughs> you must be rich. <clears throat> Do you have a television? Well, yeah, you know, we have two of them. Wow. You must be rich. Oh, honey, he's teasing you. Nobody has two televisions. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously uh i i really like the, the the whole premise in this episode that they get they you know they actually do manage to talk to the romulan and it does seem strange that they never that they never like consider what could have caused the phase variance until tuvok scans him mm-hmm. like they mention it like 20 times mm-hmm. yeah yeah there's some phase variance here i need to compensate well, you know, I'll, I'll I, give them a pass on that just because, you know, they're just really excited at this point to, you know, they found they found a wormhole and it turns out it actually goes to the Alpha Quadrant and somebody's over there talking and it's just, you know, you have it's a collapsing wormhole. It's really small. Who, kn- who knows what could cause a phase variance? I mean, it's one of those that I think after you've seen the episode, it's like, dude, you know, phase variance, you should check that out. But, um, you know, at first viewing it, it kind of like it, it isn't to them. I just kind of discounted that is just being an after effect of going through a wormhole across halfway across the galaxy. And, you know, cause I think, you know, deep space nine had been on a little bit, but, uh, we weren't that used to going through wormholes all the time. And I don't know if they really tried to communicate much through the wormhole on deep space nine at this point. So, um, it sticks out more to me now, I think than it did at the time. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that stuck out to me, um, so the Romulan, uh, Telecromor, uh, says, that in 20 years he'll be an old man. Do Romulans age a lot faster than Vulcans? Man, they must. Because <laughs> I, I I was thinking about that as well. Because yeah. he certainly... Because Vulcans age, what, half? Third, something like that, Third yeah. speed, something like that. Um, well, Sarek was, what, 200 and something? Right. When he died, so... Yeah. yeah. Well, so half. I mean, you also think about the... You know, the sort of... Like, the new Trek storyline where ambassador spock and this is because this is based on the comic book that came out before the movie uh, countdown this is ambassador spock post voyager so there's also admiral janeway is working with the romulans to help because there's a supernova that's collapsing near <laughs> romulus it's going to blow up the planet and then he gets sent back in time so you think about like that sort of timeline yeah uh in terms of you know like vulcan aging and you and, figure he's he's also only half vulcan uh, right and it's new trek spock who reminds us that vulcans and romulans share a common heritage yeah so it is it would be weird that this you know this guy is like 20 years I'm gonna be old this guy who appears to be middle-aged is saying he's going to be old in 20 years. And, it, yeah, it does seem a little strange. Yeah, but he's also, like, just had his first child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which gets me 
back to something we were cracking wise about the pads on having network connectivity, but apparently neither do Romulan science vessels. Cause he's talking about how, like I've been in deep space for a year. I'm not up to date on the latest intelligence brief. He's like, you guys don't have a network. They can't like broadcast things to you. Yeah, there is that too. Yeah. They should have the subspace communications that they can just, yeah. I mean, even submarines under the on the like the Arctic ice ice can get messages. They're not like <laughs> complicated messages. They're basically like surface. We have something to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, obviously in this case, he uh, must have been very old indeed, since he ends up dying four years before. But well, we don't know why though. They don't. That's true. They don't say what what happened. Maybe it was some kind of accident or or who knows what. Um, and so yeah, I, I don't. I, I and I and I, I'm trying to remember. I, I should go back. I, I rewatched it, you know, a few days ago. But um, when he says, you know, I'll, I'll be an old man, are you sure it wasn't that you know you'll be? I'll be an old man by the time you get back to the Alpha Quadrant in seventy years. Oh, because I'm wondering if that's what he was point. talking. about. Oh, you're right. I think that, that is what he was talking. You're about. right. Okay, okay. Yeah. now yeah. that makes yeah. more yeah. sense. Yeah, because okay. they because they didn't realize the twenty years thing until until he was on the ship. On the ship, he he was beamed over. Yeah, he yeah. he had, they already knew that. I think at that point, but yeah, because that was because yeah, that's when he told Janeway his name and said he, that he'd like her to look her up. So yeah, that would be ninety years in his future. So yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay that. Never mind. Then. We're good. We're good. I retract okay. my objection. <laughs> but speaking of wanting Janeway to to look him up, earlier when we first meet him, he says that he is um, a low-ranking scientist, so he can't sway the Romulan Senate. Mm-hmm. So he's twenty years in their past mm-hmm. from their current perspective, and. Four years into Voyager's past, he dies. So 16 years down his timeline, he becomes famous enough that he'll show up in Starfleet records? Starfleet may just... Yeah, no, Starfleet probably wouldn't have Romulan census data. Yeah, or, like, microfiche, which is actually 30 centimeters <laughs> wide fiche, of hey, like, Romulan the newspaper. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, like, how... how, how like, why is this guy in their database? Like, if he were in their database, why didn't anybody at some point, you know, like, like random crewman number seven or something, what scientist... What was his name again? Telecremor. Well, the, he didn't yeah. know... His, he didn't in- yeah. say his name until he was on the show. Okay. Okay. But... Uh, yeah, if he had been like Telecromore, man, he's he, you know, he becomes super famous for insert reason Based here. Based on the standard Star Trek trope, yeah, you would you would half expect that Tuvok would just know it because they on Star Trek they all they always seem to know every single minutia about random mm-hmm. stuff. <laughs> so I had one other point. Um, when the Doctor is talking to Kess and she reveals that she re- she read all the anatomy books and remembers everything. He says, you have an eidetic memory. I'll have to do a full uh, brain scan on you. Um, what you have about... a lovely brain. Yeah. <laughs> what about in Time and Again, 
when he does a full brain scan on her and says, you have a lovely brain, I'm sure it'll make a, a great addition to our records. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was maybe that's just a cursory where your headache's coming from brain scan. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like... Uh, whatever. Maybe, you know... Maybe the EMHS protocol is take two brain scans and call me in the morning. Like, <laughs> And drink fluids. Everyone should drink fluids. <laughs> so getting back to the communication between Telegramore mm-hmm. and, well, the ship, but Janeway to start. Janeway gets woken up, and she's in this nightgown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it just it's, feels like a weird scene. But it made me think about, okay, well, if she's not wearing that, what kind of pajamas would Janeway wear? I'm just, ones? Something I'm just... blue. Yeah, I was I was upset that her nightgown wasn't bright blue because that's the standard protocol for Starfleet pajamas. <laughs> but then I started thinking about like what kind of pajamas do you know people wear in, in our time and a lot of times it ends up being like a sweater or shirt from where they went to college. Except everyone went to Starfleet Academy. Do people actually wear shirts from where they went to college to bed or is that just a thing that happens in movies? I have seen it ha- I have seen it in people that I know. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know about, like, too bad, but certainly they're sort of, like, knocking around in the morning and late evening wear. Hmm. Like, I, I mean, I don't necessarily know, actually know what most people wear to bed anyway, but, like, the attire that they're wearing when we're having, like, a morning cup of coffee, yeah, it's it's old, comfortable clothes. And so for people our age, old, comfortable clothes it often means, like, a big t-shirt from when you were in college. Yeah, that's fair. But does Starfleet Academy have sports? Yes. Do they have a mascot? Hmm. Uh, we don't find out about a mascot, but they do have sports. They have a Parisi Squares team, for instance. And and a marathon. Yeah. Yeah. Running's not really a sport. It's just running. 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 Yeah. You, no, you can compete in running, obviously. I recognize that you can compete in running. You can also compete at golf. I also wouldn't call golf a sport, because it's basically just walking, and sometimes you hit things. Or riding, and sometimes you hit things if you're lazy. Well, not in, prof- in professional golf. It's you, you're walking the whole course. You're not allowed to use a cart in professional golf. Ah, uh, that's true. I also wouldn't consider NASCAR a sport. You're competing for that too. Hmm. There's plenty well, of things that take you know skill and dedication and time and effort that I wouldn't consider a sport that are also competitive. Chess. Hmm. Okay. Or Caprici squares. Well, Caprici squares. We never actually see what they do, but you can get injured doing it, so it yep. might actually be real sport. Hmm. Or what about that that like American Gladiators thing that Riker Ambo Jitsu? Ambo Jitsu, that's right. <laughs> yes. Now that's a sport. Yeah. <laughs> this is American Gladiators. Yeah, and then there's the racquetball that Bashir likes to play <laughs> with the weird noises that the ball makes when it hits yeah. the walls. And then there's that phaser firing thing that uh, Picard does sometimes. With, with Guinan. Yeah. <laughs> Laser tag? Yeah. It's no, basically it, it, that. But it's they, more they like. They stand on that little round thing. Phaser with, like, the target two and, Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. I think he did, he did it with Riker one time, too. His favorite way to unwind after a long day of making it just so. Yeah. Uh, and, and fencing. Don't, yeah. Oh, yeah, Picard fencing is a, also a but, thing. Yeah. And there's that uh, martial arts thing that Worf teaches. Okay, so there's lots of physical activities. And he does and he does and he does calisthenics, which involve apparently like killing things. <laughs> and uh Captain Archer likes uh water polo. Of course he does. Right. 
So what stuck out for you for the episode, Carl? Um, well, like, other than, like I said, you know, I think the plot, this is like the first episode in my rewatch, other than maybe the first one, that it seems like they have a very strong through line the whole way, where, um, you know, they, they there's no wasted time a lot. I mean, even the, the Doctor conversation stuff is actually really well done. Um, something that struck me when I re-rewatched it, just so I had it fresh in my head, was that scene um, when they're trying to set up the probe and uh, Kim is basically interrogating Bilana about her family. And yeah. it's like, I don't understand this, this like, hesitance around referring to the quote-unquote Klingon homeworld as Kronos, but, like... Even she calls it. I think my mom's on the Klingon homeworld. It's like use use the name of the planet. Like why you've already it's it's post Star Trek six. They have a name for it. Um, yeah. I don't I don't understand why nobody ever uses it. I mean, back when they called it Kling, I can understand why they didn't want to call it that. But uh, <laughs> yes, Kling is Kling is silly. Uh, but uh, you know, it's and then you could tell after that they're like we can't call it that, but we can't come up with a good name, so we're just going to refer to it as a Klingon homeworld in TNG. And I wonder the, if Vaughn Armstrong's the one who said Clang. Hmm. That would be that would be funny. Well, it was what's his. It was the it was it was the main like the the bad one. Which uh, so might have been Vaughn Armstrong actually, because he he talks about the traitors of Kling or something silly. Yeah, <laughs> in that episode. But uh, um, yeah, that 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 weird little moment stuck out to me. Um, yeah, the. Tom Paris does not drink spinach juice. Definitely stuck out. There's to me. no way Tom Paris no, drinks spinach no, juice. No, no, um, with a touch of pear. With a touch of pear, <laughs> that, that makes it that makes it all the better. Um, and just you know, it was brought up a little bit about silent acting, but like I think Janeway, uh, Kate Mulgrew just does a fantastic job of acting in this episode. When you know she she plays the the excitement really well, and and then that last scene when she just looks like she's about to lose it but she holds it together until you know in front of her crew that you know the, the, the there's no chance but well they're not no chance but there's there's little chance that these messages that they sent actually ever got delivered because you know Ramor died um, before the the ship was launched so um I, I think this this is definitely her best performance so far in the show for me yeah no she she did a great job, and, and she usually does. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. This is one of many episodes where you could replace Chakotay with a potted plant and no one would notice. <laughs> yeah. I would notice, because I actually happened to notice the potted plant in Janeway's ready room. <laughs> Are you sure it was a potted plant? Are you sure it wasn't Chakotay? Is Chakotay purple? That depends. He could okay. be. <laughs> in, in the one where his tattoo spreads, he gets a little bit purpley. But uh. no, I just, uh, I, I, for some reason, it's like the plant stuck out to me in her in uh, her ready room office, whatever you want to call it. Because mm-hmm. I'm wondering, are they fake flowers? When the flowers inevitably die, where does she get more flowers from? Are the flowers going to change over time? Are the flowers sort of like the goldfish from the West Wing? <laughs> or or Livingston. How long does Livingston live? Picard's fish. Oh, okay. okay. Um, no, in, in the in the case of the goldfish from the West Wing, uh, the prop department would often insert something into the goldfish's tank that tied into the episode in some way. Ah, okay. I never noticed that. No, 
Yeah, I hadn't either. I, I mean, I've seen The West Wing, I don't know, like eight and a half times all the way through. I'd never noticed it. Um, it gets called out occasionally on West Wing Weekly. That they'll be like, oh, did you notice the goldfish this time around? Did you see the whatever in there? Huh? It's like a like inside, inside, inside nod. Hmm. Sort of the, the West Wing equivalent of the Akutagrams, then. Yeah. What? Okay, so Mike Akuta is <laughs> the the person who designed all of the console screens and okay. door labels and every pretty much everything on the ship. Nice. And uh, on a lot of those little labels, uh, underneath the thing that says, like, Turbo Lift 4 or Door C, it'll have some random quote from something that you can never see. Oh, really? You can't see it on the screen. Uh, uh, you can sometimes make it out on the HD remasters for TNG, but otherwise you okay. cannot read it. But it's you know it's things like remember, no matter where you go, there you are, or stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. No. I. I mean. I. I, I know what you're talking about in terms of the like the door labels for the turbo lifts, mm-hmm. and I can definitely think of where that would be printed on there. But yeah, I'd never been able to. I never thought it was actual words. Thought it was just shapes. <laughs> so I, I think we pretty much covered the episode at this point. I, I mean, the thing that the thing that that sticks out to me after the you know having seen I would say you know sixty seventy maybe a little bit more percent of the show mm-hmm. through its entire run is that they set up the whole I want a name like seven episodes in and then never they like like they even do the joke about it, it took you that long to come up with Joe. No, um, it comes up in Heroes and Demons. It does. Well, no, 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 but but he doesn't pick it. Right. Like he never because, he never decides. Well, no, in Heroes and Demons he he comes up with a name for the to give that he gives to the Vikings. Mm-hmm. But then he he and then at the end of the episode they ask him if he wants to use that name and he says no because it has uh it has a personal trauma associated with it because of the death of the vikings in the holodeck okay and then yeah after that they never it never comes up again right okay yeah no carl's point still stands <laughs> yeah I, I think that if it had been like a recurring plot device where every maybe like two or three times a season he'd be having a conversation with somebody and he's like so i've been working on my short list of names really don't like edwin yeah or something like that yeah, yeah. you know mm. like it, it, it like it, there was the potential for it to be an interesting running, just like running thing throughout the entire run of the show, and instead we get it apparently three times. Sorry, not twice. You're right. Three is so different <laughs> <laughs> across seven seasons. I don't know. It's been a long time since I've seen that episode. I remember that line. I remember that line for some reason. Uh, but it, it like it always like. My headcanon was always like, well, after that, he decided he didn't want a name. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't have anything else to talk about. I The name thing had occurred to me while watching it, but I didn't uh, jot it down. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't have anything else. I guess one thing that, that did stick out to me a little bit was that, I mean, th- this Romulan is very trusting of... You know, he just lets them beam to. something onto his ship. He lets them beam something onto his ship. He le- lets them beam him onto their ship. And... I mean, it, in his timeline, this is during that weird period in early season one of TNG or even before that when they're like, we haven't see, heard from the Romulans in how many years, you know, and, and... Yeah, oh, I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, so, 
So, like, for him to be like, oh, Federation, eh, I don't know if I trust you. And then, you know, one act later, he's, you know, having conversations with Janeway. To, I mean, in one in one sense, it kind of works in that he wouldn't know that, like, what's up with the uniforms? I haven't seen this ship before. Because everything would be new to him. But at the same time, it's, you know, that's that weird period of time when they hadn't heard from the Romulans before Marco Lemo and the other guys show up at the end of the Neutral Zone episode. And, uh, you know, so he's... he he starts to trust these guys really quickly, I think. I mean, it, it, I don't think it hurts the episode in any way, and I think that it's his character kind of... Uh, it, it works for the character, but at the same time, you know, it's a little it's a little odd to me. Yeah, I completely forgotten that in the neutral zone they say that they hadn't... that no one from the Federation had spoken to the Romulans in decades. Mm-hmm. I think that his quick trust can be chalked up to he's been alone for a year, and apparently not in super regular communication with his headquarters either um one thing i was wondering um is how can he look at a narrow view of the bridge and immediately know what class of starship it is or know that he doesn't know what class it is right also he i don't know how much information that you know janeway may have shared with him ahead of time about uh, Voyager and the Intrepid class, but oh boy, <laughs> that's a nice little twenty-year head start. Well, there what there is on the back of the bridge. There is the giant diagram of Voyager. Okay. Hmm. So he would have been able to see that on the view screen. Okay. But yeah, no, I, I, I it is definitely a good point. Uh, one thing I, w- I would like to say that I did really enjoy when the doctor chews out Lieutenant Baxter. If I see you in here again for an exercise-related injury, I'll have to discuss the matter with your superior officer. Yes, sir. You're fine now. You may leave. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's the very end? Yeah. And when he leaves, he just says, yes, sir. Yeah, I don't know how... Yeah, I mean, as chief medical officer, I'm not sure where he falls in the rank structure. Higher than a lieutenant. Obviously, because it's a lieutenant. He can order. He can order literally anyone if it has to do with medicine. Yeah, I mean, he could take the captain off duty if he has to. So, yeah, yeah. But I mean, if I mean, the hologram has no rank. Does he even have pips? I can't. No, no, he doesn't. Okay, only yeah. when he's right. the ECH. Right. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, as yeah, I mean, as chief medical officer, he can take anyone off duty, and they have to. They have to listen when he's giving medical advice but this felt like something in between the two and it's a question of like where does his rank lie outside of stop injuring yourself or i'm gonna Mm. report you i mean it's not like it matters he's not leaving (laughs) the the medic yeah the he's not leaving medical anytime soon no no not until after future's end yeah well, I don't know. Don't they send him to the bridge, or at one point, like they they have the hollow emitters send him somewhere else at one point? Or am I completely making that up? Uh, no, they have they send him to the hollow. Well, there's the, the hollow there's deck, the time right. that they think that he thinks there's hollow emitters around the ship, but really he lost his memory and was in a hol- in the hollow deck the whole mm-hmm. time. Yep. Okay. And that's the one with that's one of the episodes with Reg Barkley. Right. So in between now and future end, they never bother installing hollow emitters throughout the ship, even though... Nope. Okay. 
you know, that's just poor planning on their part. Like, let, let's let's even disregard the whole doctor personhood argument. They are intentionally medically crippling themselves by saying, well, we just don't need doctors in any other room on the ship. Yeah. Kess will do just fine, and Tom Paris can band-aid at warp speed. <laughs> well, I, I think they, they, they try to imply that it's, like, really hard to do the hollow emitters, and yet then... When, in the killing game, when the Hirogen take over the ship, they do install hollow emitters all over the ship. Maybe Hirogen hollow emitters are... Nope, the Hirogen didn't have hollow technology until they got to Voyager. That was a huge plot point. Darn. Well, well, this is still this is still when they're counting, you know, how much power they have and how many photon torpedoes they have. So that could be yeah, part of it, you true. know. They, they kind of get over that, like, minutia later, I think. But uh, early on, they're, you know, they're... What was it in the, I think it was in the cloud, where they're like, we only have so many photon torpedoes, we're going to have to waste one here. 37? 37, yeah. I think it was 37. You've seen the YouTube video where they count the torpedoes, right? No. <laughs> oh god, no, it, it's it's amazing. It really is. I, I'm guessing they fire more than 37 photon torpedoes. Oh yeah. They fire yeah. like 113 torpedoes over the course <laughs> of the show. Yeah, it's it's considerably more than 37. <laughs> and I don't even know if they also count the... What were they? The quantum torpedoes, I guess it was? At the... well, there was the biomolecular Borg torpedoes. Yeah. yeah. They wouldn't have quantum torpedoes because those are all... That was post-Voyager. Yeah. Well, yeah, but this would have been future Janeway coming back oh, to right, past right, right, Voyager right. with yep. its cool armor. That's right. I love the cool armor. The cool armor should have been there from day one. So, the video that you'll want to watch, Carl, is called the Definitive Voyager Torpedo Inventory Log. Yeah. See, it's even better than Riker sitting down. I don't know. That's, pre- that's, that's pretty solid. I don't that's, know if yeah. it's better than Riker sitting down. <laughs> Did you see that thing I tweeted today, Stuart? I did. We're going to keep the listeners in suspense. This is yeah, we are. They're going to have to dig yeah. back. For re- for the record, it is currently uh, January 11th, 2018. You can dig way into the archives. I think that's as good a place as any to say that uh, he is Tyrannicus on Twitter. And Stuart is Gamicus on Twitter. Carl? I am, as of a few weeks ago, listening to film on Twitter. Nice. The show is Delta Flyer Pod on Twitter. You can also email us if you if you so desire, and that's at deltaflyerpod at gmail.com. We have a website if you want. It's really just to get to the episodes. Yeah, it's just it's just the master list of every episode. That's all. That's uh deltaflyerpodcast.com. No, it's just deltaflyerpod.com. What he said. <laughs> On Facebook, we are Delta Flyer Podcast. That's what I was thinking of. That's what I said the whole time. But as we have mentioned before, we're not going to pay Facebook to advertise our posts. So you're welcome to like us on Facebook, but you probably won't see our posts. Also, if you like this show and you think you might want to listen to us talk about another 20-year-old sci-fi show, you should definitely check out our other show, Stargate Weekly. All right. Well, that's that. 